Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Mandy Beaumont. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Now, Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the stories that drive our storytelling to help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. To SEO broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. These are unceded lands. Treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Mandy Beaumont is an award-winning writer, academic, and book reviewer. Her critically acclaimed collection of short stories, Wild Fearless Chests, was shortlisted for the Rochelle Prize and the Dorothy Hewitt Award. A story from the collection won the Moth International Short Story Award. Mandy's debut novel is The Furies, and she's joining us to talk about it today. The Furies takes us to Queensland in the 90s. Cynthia has watched her family fall apart and is left in a world she does not yet understand. Driven by forces outside her control, she must negotiate a world that is openly hostile to her. This book is an absolute slap across the face. It is both thematically and literarily compelling. Join me as we discover Mandy Beaumont's The Furies. Hello. Hello. Mandy, how are you? Good, mate. How are you? I'm very good. Sorry, I'm just just managing windows on my computer and my phone starts to ring and I sorry, get it. I've had I've had an absolute morning with my computer where it decided to do a reset and didn't seem to want to stop. <laughs> so, oh god, bloody technology and working from home, I tell ya. But look, we're recording and it's really great to be chatting to you. Thanks so much for taking the time today as well. The Furies is just a it's it is it is savage it is a roller coaster <laughs> i've loved it the byline the byline tells us a woman can be lost in so many ways can you introduce mm. us to cynthia and her story yeah sure so the furies is very briefly like the furies is the story of cynthia and she's in regional queensland in the 90s um and she experiences the all too familiar experiences of women in regional towns and across the world is a universal problem obviously um and she her she's bathed in the voices there's a real mystical and gothic element to the book through nature through queensland um she's bathed in the voices of other women who've come before her who who weren't lucky enough to make it and so in her head she's got these rolling voices um of, of revolt and so her her resistance, her revolt, her transcendence is sort of the core of the book, the power that she has and the power that women have collectively to join together. Mm. There's a real building too, whether it's that that sort of feeling you get in your body as as anger builds or the building of a storm, which is very thematically yeah. related. I saw I saw you tweet the other day, before we get to the book, I saw you tweet the other day that a woman had approached ah. you at the gym to compliment <laughs> the Furies. She described you as a powerhouse. Look, I'm going to second that. But I, I, look, the, feel, <laughs> the Furies, it feels both ancient but also intensely immediate. How are you Great. finding people response, people's responses to the book? Yeah, look, that, that thing about the um, – 
like because the the, word, the the title of the Furies is from mythology where these women would come from the uh, the underworld and they would wreak vengeance on men who did wrong. And so the idea that we're mixing like this mythology and this power to a modern day in Australian noir gothic kind of setting, people are really resonating and connecting with, which is lovely, right? And the the, the themes that are about collectivism and power and all that working class stuff is really connecting with people, which is great. It feels like, again, I I said it it feels intensely immediate. It feels like maybe once upon a time there was this sense or perhaps, and and I'll I'll, actually, I'll start this again and say, I'm acknowledging that as a, as a white cis heterosexual guy, I'm reading this through a particular lens, but it feels like once upon a time events, um, usually violent events committed by men against women would come up mm-hmm. in the media. There would be, there would be a response. There would be an, a reaction, a ringing of hands, a backlash, and then it would fade until the next event. But that feels like it's changed in the last year. Now there are probably many things we could point to. And that's, that's perhaps the immediacy in the fury shows us a building tide that will not relent. Did you, mm-hmm. were you conscious of tapping into this? Is this? No. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, so the idea that, you know, I feel like, well, personally, and so many people around me, we're numb to the bullshit of of this world we live in, both with, you know, COVID, for example, or violence against women, all these big issues of our time. And I think that the Furies is relentless. And I've had a few reviews saying it's relentless, it's powerful, it doesn't give, you know, it has no, but that's the point of the bloody book. So the point of the book is to be re, re, be relentless, but also the way that it's written, the poetics of it, the structure of the writing, the beauty in the language is that middle ground to make it more accessible. So you've got that beautiful language, plus you've got this relentless, powerful build, which I think is that combining, gets a read that you did, that, that combined read. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> I hope and it I, does. Okay. I think um, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend for a second uh, this is an original thought I'm about to share. I've, I've borrowed this from somewhere somewhere else, but yeah. it feels again like if you're reading it and it's surprising you, you haven't been paying attention. Right on, right on, because these are all experiences. And, and like I've had a lot of women who've come to me and gone, you know, these experiences that, oh, God, I so connect with that, I so do that, I so feel that, I so know that. And that was the whole idea of the book. I'm really interested in the idea of um, the ambiguity of life, like all these you know, the ambiguous nature of things, but in essence, our individual experiences are also these universal experiences as women. So I really wanted to tap into the idea that we can all connect and collectivise through these ideas and things that happen to us, which are universal, sadly enough. And for Cynthia, as she goes through her story, and I mean, I, maybe maybe just a brief um, intro to the plot. We meet Cynthia, Her her family has disintegrated there has been a a tragic event that i'm going to let people discover as they read the furies but it's it's meant she's on her own at a very young age and and through a process she starts to learn a little bit about what what has happened and and why it has happened and as she as she learns there's a point about halfway through the book where she says this story is so much more than just mine it has become their collective sound of memory and loss the stories of all the women who came before me I wondered if you could tell me about about writing a story that that transcends this individual experience. Were you 
were you just taking in what your life had shown you? Were you talking to other women? How how did the the voices emerge? Yeah, sure. Yes to all of that. Um, I'm also a researcher in uh, the literary theories of Simone de Beauvoir at, at um, RMIT. So the concept of our collective, um, that individual versus the universal and using fiction to write an individual's experience to make those universalities was really important. So the idea that there was these otherworldly tours, because we are not you know, there are so many that came before us. There is a history. Women have a history. And so it's built over eons and we've got those traditions and all those structures of patriarchy that we sit within and they just haven't turned up. They exist. So the idea that I could use landscape and the beauty of the Australian landscape to make that real visceral, gothic, otherworldly in the storms and the dryness just came out of influences like um, Andrew McGahn, who did it so well in um, The White Earth and also Rich Man's House. And, you know, Charlotte Wood did it. Like there's wonderful um, gothic Mm. tales that I think I really wanted to tap into, how the power of nature and that women are often seen as nature because they're often seen as the other or the, you know, the inessential to men in the world. So... I love that you mentioned Charlotte Wood. I've, I've had real sort of thoughts of the natural way of things as I was yeah. reading. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit more about that that connection to the land because Cynthia's story is is tied to the land that she inhabits outside. Mm. So she works, she comes to work in an abattoir and outside the abattoir is a wild grove that seemingly defies nature. And But beyond that, that sort of small space, the land is denuded through overuse, through neglect, through drought, um, and that that juxtaposition, that juxtaposition between the wild and the fertile, and then this space that, that has seemingly been abused, was that? Am I am I reading that that sort of juxtaposition correctly? Yeah, it was really important to have that because I feel like the idea of women being because my first collection short stories, uh, Wildfield's Chest, I was really interested in the idea of women who are misplaced or stuck in place or you know that real imminent stuff they're really stuck somewhere but there is always like you know and it's always um relative and it's it's got a whole lot of cultural and social uh, structures around it but in terms of like the transcendence the idea that women can move from or attempt to move from or push back or resist the situations that they sit in was a real, um, the land, I wanted the land to tell you that. So the land is is trying so hard to be fertile all around it, but you've got El Nino, El Nina, the drought, the 90s in Australia. Mm. So as a metaphor, I think obviously you've picked it up. So it obviously worked, which is bloody great. I really, and it was it was so interesting because you've you've taken me back there. I do remember, you know, I was yeah. like a teenager learning yeah. these words, El Nina, um, La mm. Nina, uh, for the first time, and and thinking how strange, um, how strange they felt, and this huge impact they were having, and and the way you, you the way you have tied them together, and that process of uh, coming into being. I, I feel this real need to kind of skirt around events that are connected to these areas because mm. for the for the build up, we've talked about the Furies having this real build up, and for that that to work, it's re- I'm really going to put a, a pin in the in the build up of that um, if I tell people about certain events. But so let's keep trying to successfully um, walk around them. 
<laughs> I want to I want to move back back from the land um, into the body. Cynthia has a mantra. She's made of gristle. She's strong. Oh. She's tough. And her work at the abattoir is is a physical job, but it also forces her to confront bodies and their weaknesses. And I, I, I'm going to just leave that as a conspicuously um, ambiguous statement because mm. um, there's a there's a lot that happens in this space. But I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the way women's bodies are controlled, mm. the various ways they're controlled, and how you explored this through Cynthia's changing relationship to her own body. Yeah, sure. I felt that Cynthia had a real disconnect to her own body. So she, even when, you know, the violence in the abattoir, the violence inflicted on her, um, the stories around, I feel like she was very much disconnected from it, which is what I often very feel. And I know I've spoken to other women who feel the same way because we're in such a manufactured neoliberal capitalist world that um, objectifies women and makes them feel to be something other than they actually are. I think that that was really important for me to explore. And it was also a real uh, dichotomy to that was like using an avatar where it is very visceral. It's about chucking a knife in a beast, the cut, the feel, the, the heaviness of things. I really wanted to push that up against the idea that Cynthia was so disconnected to her body that it was such a surreal, mythical, she was all in her brain, huh, in the books. So I feel like that using the, the abattoir pushed back on that and made that really strong. There's I don't know if that would. There's this real sense as well. I, I got you. You talk about that disconnection for yeah. Cynthia. We when we meet her, she's she's at this sort of formative kind of you know late teens stage in her life, and there are moments. There are very real moments where her connection to her mother is challenged. She does not have an existing relationship with her mother because of the mm. events that we've alluded to. Yeah. Um, but at times she she literally looks in the mirror and mistakes herself for her mother, and there is a real process because her mother her mother ha- is is per- perceived by her well has has transgressed. But in the broader story of the Furies, her mother has transgressed the the larger body of the voices that that Cynthia comes to channel. But Cynthia has to get past this idea that she might be her mother, and yeah. is that is that in a way looking at the different ways that women are connecting themselves to the past. And I I mean, I guess difficult ways of looking at um, complicity versus rebellion. I think it's yes, but I think it's also to do with intergenerational grief and the way that, you know, I alluded to before around that our stories, women's stories are so often not told or known or explored. And the idea that, you know, I exist as a 40-year-old woman in, you know, white woman in Melbourne don't exist in, you know, I don't exist in isolation. I didn't just pop up here. So the stories and experiences that women have had is so important to tell the women of our stories now and going forward and how we can make ethical and better choices around equality as a society. So in, in, in looking at the relationship between her and her mother, it was, yeah, like, you know, is she her mother? Can she do those violent acts like her mother? But it's also speaking to what is her mother's story? What are the other stories around her? And that's where that mythical vibe comes in. You 
put I'm just I just need to riff here for a second because again I come Play. back to I come back to this idea that for the reader of the Furies or for particularly a reader like myself who is male, white, cis, yep. I'm coming into this book with a particular background and I'm probably going to do a particular reading. Um, yep. And and that is bound up in the his, in histories as you've just pointed out. But mm-hmm. part of and and there's a beautiful sort of strange irony to this. Part of our our collective history in Australia as a sort of broadly scare quotes Western nation is a history of individualism. So we're not thinking collectively. We're not perhaps no. taking that perspective that you're you're really putting forward in the Furies that we are have this in, interconnectedness. Um, which again, just just riffing on that, you've just in that last answer, you've you've given me new things that I need to think about, and you you do that in the book. In the last couple of pages, you in the epilogue, you throw down some really heavy yeah. challenges, and I like I love it. It was it really uncomfortable reading, really sort of like want to want to put down the book and maybe take some of your suggestions step by step because yeah. like it, it doesn't look like a pleasant to-do list if you write it all out one by one. <laughs> I love that. That's, That's inter- the best thing I've heard. <laughs> and it's interesting. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Like I think, I think maybe some men probably have started. I know, I know some of the things you've suggested are things that I have, have tried to do, as I said, not a yeah. pleasant to-do list. And broadly, this is, this is sort of like staring at the sun. This is something that men might glance at and then look away thinking about their role, their complicity, and especially even even the the most untarnished individual still has to accept their role as a benefactor purely based on their their history, the way they've they've been brought yeah. up in a privileged world. Yep. And that's the structural inequality. I mean, inequality, racism, sexism, you know, ageism, all this kind of bullshit that sits around isn't an individual issue. It's a structural issue, as we know. So that's built over years and years and years. So, I mean, the idea that... uh, The idea that that it is a, a, a... It's a book about a call to revolt and collectivism with women, but it's also a call to men to stand up, to rise up, to show us. You know, there's a whole lot of bullshit talk around like, oh, you know, I'm a good man, I'm a good man, blah, blah, blah. Not all men, all that kind of bullshit. But at the end of the day, show us, work with us, become, you know, and the book isn't about destroying men. That's not my feminism. But at the end of the day, it's about resistance and women's resistance against the bullshit that has made us less than in society and ends up being in the violent acts that we see in the world. And that's the violence in the book isn't me taking, you know, shits and giggles to make it violent to give you a bit of like a, you know, a thrill out of it. It's more about really connecting with that real guts and glory of guts of the world. Like it's real shit. There's a real, I mean, just just a note on on the idea of violence in the book. There's a real, like, it's almost like a horror horror movie quality element where a lot happens off screen, and mm. so the violence is what you bring to your reading. Um, Correct. And you are you are allowed to you know take all the the, the horrific moments in your head um, out on the page. <laughs> And, it's, and that comes back to that ambiguity that I love in fiction. You've got books like, you know, like American Psycho, that's such an ambiguous book. Like, was he a serial killer? Was he not? Who bloody knows? It's still talked about today. You know, was Tony Soprano, did he get killed? Did he not at the end? We don't know. So these ideas around 
the ambiguous nature of things and what you come to the work, work as a reader, like, you know, at the end of the book, as you know, the ending is ambiguous. So it's kind of like the responses people say to me is, oh, this is what I think happened or this is what I don't think happened really speaks to a reader's feminism. It really speaks to the way that they view the world or like you said, the lens that they use. So it's always a question I'm mean, asking people, how do you think it ends up? Which is a very exciting way to leave a bit of fiction, I think. Mm. And, and and again, just a note on the idea of, of violence. I think the challenge there is for men to be tearing themselves down a little bit. Like I think there's a little bit of deconstruction that men need to do that's built into those those final pages. And we can't, you know, you can't really, sometimes you can't layer, you can't keep layering on top. You can't just put good intentions on top of of bad yeah. you you need to you need to do that examination you need to think uh, about the past before you can constructively move forward into the future and we need to you're right on and we need to do that not just individually and that's why collectivism is so important here and I you know I've worked 20 years in the union movement I, the collectivism is so important to grow and develop and be better and I think it's all of our responsibility to hit those in power to kick up a stink, you know, be the Grace Thames of the world. She's one fabulous woman, but at the end of the day, can't we all be that fabulous? Can't we all kick it? So I think it's actually just really resistance, really that idea that we're better than this as a, as a whole, right? Okay. So the ideas, though, I, ultimately ideas don't land if the words won't carry them. So I want to yeah. take a brief intermission from the story and the themes to talk a little bit about your prose styling, and in particular, one thing that jumped out at me because I just I, I love the Furies. The Furies, the Furies carries you forward on this this wave of its of its yeah, sentences. Cool. In particular, you your use of a conjunction. You follow a conjunction sometimes a preposition with a period. Mm. You break up thoughts and actions, and it felt to me this is just my my sort of visceral response. Like maybe the sting of an interruption, maybe someone talking over, but also the way a memory can sometimes intrude into a, a thought that it, it doesn't have a place in. I wondered though that what did you want to communicate through these these structures? Yeah, sure. So um, I sort of see them more as a bit of a staccato sort of process where, you know, uh, some, like you've just said, like talking over you, stopping a sentence, that kind of stuff. What happens in the work is that I feel like it has, and I think you've alluded to as well, it has a real rhythm, a real power. It's a real rolling fastness in the book. And the idea that Look, at the start of the book, you get a bit as a sort of, you know, as a normal, I'll put that in inverted commas, reader, you come to that text and go, oh, that's a bit abrupt when I'm reading these kind of styles. And it's kind of harsh and it's kind of not that enjoyable to read. And then you get into the rhythm and you go, oh, shit, it's supposed to feel uncomfortable. I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable with this. And once you get into the rhythm, it reads very quickly. So that's how the, the impact was for it to be poetic and to support that use of language as being beautiful and poetic up against the violence of the book. There's something very musical about it and we, yeah. our, our use of the word rhythm and especially when you, when you encounter a new genre that might that might have a staccato rhythm or it might yeah. it might put an offbeat where you're not expecting it but i mean i even even again just riffing the idea of the idea of the way our neuro our neuro neurological processes work is we latch on to novelty 
So those yeah. moments where you do this, you are giving us a novelty. And what I found myself doing was I would read it and then I had to reread the sentence and cool. I, would, I, I could reread it taking out the period and then I'd put it back in. So I found myself with this interesting focal point, almost like a, a musical refrain that repeats. And it gives you space. Like, you know, they're purposeful. I didn't do it, again, for shits and giggles. I spent many, a couple of years writing it. So it's like with those, it gives you space as the reader to think. It leads you on a faster path or a slower path. All of that stuff is really intentional. And that's why it's a literary book because it is, it has got a crime genre. It's got all that kind of stuff, but it is literary. On the line level, it's got that stuff that makes you really engage with the work. I I mean, I'd, I'd could keep talking about this, but there are also some ideas that I think we haven't quite gotten to. And I okay. want to move move to the second act. In the second act of The Furies, we centre on a letter Cynthia discovers from her mother. And amidst the story of how they came to be, her mother talks about this idea of shouting into the night, of no one listening, of no one replying. Mm. And I wondered what you could tell me about this contrast between Cynthia and her mother, that sense of loneliness and being ignored, and then how that that idea kind of galvanises Cynthia. Yeah, I think that comes back to that individualisation, individualisation, I can't even bloody say it, individuals, um, <laughs> and the idea that so many women that I've spoken to, that I know myself, that we do feel so in isolation often and we find that in, we hear that in stories of, you know, like, you know, women who, for example, have been caught in a um, violent, abusive relationship and the stupid question of why did you stay? It's like because they've been cut off from the world around them. They're in isolation, I think, and that's an extreme example, but I think women are very feel very isolated in society and so the idea that the mother did feel so isolated, but Cynthia did also very much, but she feels this connection to this mystical, these other voices. She feels the connection and she sees other things due to the era that she's in that other women didn't, that her mother didn't, I think is just that real catalyst for moving our the way that we think about our isolation and the way that we treat each other and the way that women come together. So it's a real like kind of, come on, guys, let's pull our shit together. Let's work together. Let's be a part of this together. We are not in isolation. Yeah, and, and maybe, maybe we can talk about how through the book we see the ways that isolation is, is perpetuated. So as you say, Cynthia, she becomes a conduit for all of these voices, these women who were ignored. Um, and I really, I, I, I really now I'm just going to drop in a note that the reader needs to go out. They need to experience the way you bring this to life and the intermingling of uh, kind of the the stark reality with the sort of the magical realism and the naturalism mm. of it. But um, one element of the this ignoring, the way women's voices are ignoring, is the way men's behaviour to women is normalised. And I'm going to deliberately leave out many plot points here to avoid spoilers, but <laughs> it's, it's very safe to just say that Cynthia is routinely abandoned, she is abused, she is taunted, um, and these are all a matter of course. Mm. The men in the book see them as just a matter of course. I guess we would now, this, this novel is set in the 90s, I guess now we'd be calling this gaslighting. But can you, can you talk a little bit about the impacts in the story of how these behaviours are just accepted by the broad, well, all of the men and many, many of the women? 
well, they were for me growing up. Yeah. I did grow up in the 90s. I did grow up in Queensland. I did grow up in regional places. So they were accepted it's just as racism was or, you know, like any kind of bigotry or it was there. So it comes back to that real like it's the shit that I've seen and gone through and my friends have. Like I'm not – I'm using fiction to tell obviously a fictional story but the, that, that going back to that individual story, reaching out to the collective, the, you know, the, all of us story, people are connecting with it because they can see themselves in it somewhere, whether they are the woman who experienced it or the dude who did it or the dude who didn't say anything or stood by or laughed about it in a group. It's all, we're all, we've all experienced this stuff. And it goes all the way down because I, I notice you, you're really subtly able to also even evoke the idea of, of complicity through inaction. So totally, even, even men who are very late to the narrative, I'm, I'm explaining this so badly, but characters that are, are almost throwaway characters, they've, they join the story for a line or two, but you show us very clearly that they can see something's not quite right but their choice is to disengage rather than engage. And that, that complicity what? through inaction. And look, mate, look, the biggest example for us today is Scott Morrison. Mm. Let's not kid ourselves. Like we can see it on a national scale, wherever your politics sit, you can see that inaction has brought us to some horrendous outcomes for education, health, a whole lot of places. So the inaction of these good men in the world is actually part of the problem. It's like a food pyramid, right? Yep. So you've got these like, levels of stuff and like you can deny it. You can say that's bullshit. You can say, oh, I'm a good man. You can do all those things and cool, that's fine. But the reality is we sit in patriarchal structures. This is what we, this is what, like, it's like capitalism. It's what it is. All right. So now I want to engage with an idea that is, I think something that is actually propping up these structures. Um, something that I see as a, a fundamental problem in the way we tell stories. It's something that Amy Ramikas, uh, in her new book on reckoning, um, mm-hmm. she she describes as a contradiction between the fact that statistically we are all likely to know a man who is an abuser, just like statistically we're all likely to know a woman who has been abused, and yet somehow as we live in our day-to-day lives, all of the men we know are good blokes. Um, <laughs> and I wondered in, in all the stories we tell, not fic- not just literary fiction or genre fiction, but in the way we tell our stories day-to-day, is there a problem with creating a juxtaposition between uh, mustachioed, twirling villains and ordinary men? Fuck, I don't know, mate. I would love to tell you I know that answer, but I think that... It comes back to us all proving and showing that we are good and want the best and are ethical because at the end of the day, if we don't have those things, why are we here? Do you know what I mean? Like if we're not going to be good and kind and ethical people, then what the hell's the point of it? So um, I don't know that answer. I don't know what you – I don't know because everyone in my life is a good man too, right? Mm. Same bullshit. So I don't know the answer, but I'm not too sure that it's women who should be making mm. that call. I think men need to identify it to use reflection, as is I ask at the end of my book for men to reflect on themselves. Like maybe they need to take up a bit of the hard work here and reflect and speak to this sort of stuff. Well, at the, at the risk of picking on the Furies, but since we are talking about the Furies, I want to I reflect myself then 
on two characters, and I'm I, you yeah. will you will understand what I'm talking about, but we won't give away spoilers. Um, All right. <laughs> so Simon, Simon, and Cameron. I feel like mm. on a first pass read, we might distinctively pick one of them as more villainous. Sure, sure, but, sure, sure. But I look, I look, try to look objectively, and I look particularly at, at a moment where Simon revisits um, his behaviour in the novel. And I actually like. I really see them as as if, if we want to talk in. If the, if we had a villainy scale, how would a villainy scale work? Uh, um, be like the food pyramid, mate. It's like same t- yeah, twirling twirling your moustache <laughs> is number one, and tying someone to the train tracks is up at number ten. But on a villainy <laughs> scale, like I really see these men as participating through different acts in the same types of violence. Um, one one is just someone we would maybe be like, yeah, he he he's a bad bloke. The other guy, oh look, he, come on, you understand why he do that? What what could he be asked to do more? What's, totally. what's the story here? Um, yeah, we we totally. really need to be looking at these behaviours. I think in a new light. I agree, and that's that's the shades of the world. Everything isn't black or white. There is ambiguity in living. So the idea that you know there is a certain way that a man or a woman should behave or act or be is bullshit. So like you know, again, I bring back to Grace Tame. Why the hell should she smile? Like what you know, the smile bullshit that all of us have got as women at some stage. So um, yeah, I there is a. That's why I think there's so many examples in that, and I use those two men in particular as motives for that. Mm. Um, and so that, you know, um, I think all men will recognise themselves in that if they're reflective and honest with themselves. Mm. It's there. It exists. It is, yeah. yeah. And it is an absolute... I get, The Furies feels like a book I shouldn't be saying it is an absolute joy to... To, to take yeah, to go it. through these ideas, but like there is there is absolutely something about just going page after page and being slapped in the face with ideas, um, only only to get for the ideas to get bigger and challenge you even more. Um, and Mandy, we've I think we've done. I'm speaking with Mandy Beaumont. We are discussing her her debut novel, The Furies, and I think we've done this gorgeously brilliant job of bringing these ideas to the fore without spoiling your incredible story. Thank you. And I must say to finish off, I said to my partner who is male, what do you think of the book on the first read? And he said to me, people are either going to get fucked up by it and and freaked out by it, or they're going to absolutely adore it. There's no middle ground with this book, I don't think. (laughs) I really want to hear, like, I don't, I don't care if a whole bunch of, um, you know, giant crybabies want to get out on the socials and decry, oh, decry your behavior, your um, your portrayals, because that means they read it, and that means we're talking about it. Look, and that means I can make a living and maybe write another book. <laughs> Brilliant. That's just old hard facts, mate. Yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Mandy, let me let me introduce the book one more time for people. I am speaking with Mandy Beaumont. Her, we are discussing the Furies. It is as a wonderful Jim going. Um, uh, Twitter, not Twitter user. <laughs> it's yeah, a powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you. And Mandy, can I can I ask a small indulgence from you before I let you go? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, final draft, the radio show that we are recording for, is turning yeah, yeah. is turning thirty this year. Bloody hell! That's you, amazing. I know. I haven't been involved with it the whole time, but <laughs> <laughs> no. Could you could you record a small sting for me wishing Final Draft happy birthday? 
Yeah, totally. Go for it. Just sort of a, just sort of a. Hi, I'm Mandy Beaumont. I'm the author of The Furies, and yeah. however you would wish someone happy birthday after that. Cool. Um, hi, it's Mandy Beaumont, um, author of The Furies, and you know, thirty years, bloody hell, you're getting on. But um, congratulations, and looking forward to more. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate Thank that. You. That um, was a really awesome interview, mate. Thank you. I've done a lot of interviews in the past and that's bloody awesome. So thanks. I appreciate it. I'm really, I'm yeah. really excited to be sharing this one. So um, that's it for this great conversation with Mandy Beaumont. Mandy's new book is The Furies and it's out now from Hachette. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You look for at Final Draft 2 ser Trying to be a little bit more active. Love to hear from you. Drop me a line. Throw in a comment. What are you reading? Have you discovered something on the show? There are so many ways to build our book community, and I would love to share it with you. Also, subscribe in the podcast. If you haven't listened for a while, if this is the first time you've dipped your toe back in the water, you're going to find a whole lot of new things. Weekly 2SER book club, special events, segments that we've only just introduced this year. There is so much to discover from Final Draft every week. So, subscribe. I'll make sure it delivers straight to your phone, your device, your computer, wherever you're listening. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.